Hey friends, it's Caitlin Vincent and welcome to Your Girlfriend Podcast. I'm here to be real, vulnerable and have your back along the way. We are only human and make mistakes, but we are here to support one another and feel empowered in taking the next step. I'll be joined by some epic guests that will openly share the space to speak their truth. This podcast is for entertainment purposes and I highly recommend you seek professional advice when needed. Are you ready for it? Let's have some fun. (laughs) This one is going to be a tough podcast. It's going to be something that I procrastinated on so much. Uh, It's probably why it took me a month to do this next episode because I knew it was coming. I knew that this story and a part of my life was something that was really challenging to talk about and I even spent this morning spending so much time to do the things, anything but this actual podcast. So I'm feeling quite anxious. I'm feeling quite vulnerable and but then I'm also feeling empowered because I know that my story is going to help others especially the fact that we all went through something very traumatic in the past couple of years as well. So I know that it's also relatable and that's why I wanted to make this podcast because I knew that this will be a realistic platform for everyone, but it also will be a place to support one another and know that you're not alone going through whatever you're going through. And I'll explain in detail why I'm actually doing this podcast because it really shakes things up (laughs) it's not me with my quirky you know crazy vibes and funny vibes on social media this one is going to probably be a bit of a precaution to those that are listening to this that if you're not in a right headspace at the moment if you're actually struggling yourself I would highly recommend that you actually don't listen to this podcast right at this moment and maybe find a chance when you're a little bit elevated because I will be talking about some quite strong topics, especially when it comes to mental health. And I really highly recommend anyone to seek the advice from professionals because that's what I did in a lot of these moments. And I'm just guiding people from my own journey and own story to be able to let people know that it's not people that you think are only struggling. There's a lot of people out there that are struggling. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that forward that it's not podcast to scare people. It's an episode just to be aware. And it might actually make people feel like that they actually need to think about their time And are they actually really working through coping strategies and mechanisms to get them to a good place? Because we were triggered a lot, especially when it came to COVID. So I'm going to tap into that a little bit more. But one of the things I always like to do with my podcast is, whether it's a guest or with myself, is three things that I'm grateful for. And the one thing that I'm really grateful for in this present moment is just being able to help my mind and to tap into my body even more so because this morning I actually read a book and it was talking about how we really get caught up in our heads and how we can actually tap into our bodies and one of the exercises they did was just simple task of making a list of a number out of 10 where you would sit so for example um, having a coffee how much fulfillment does that give to you 
Is it in your head or does your body actually really desire it? And it was interesting to see on the scale from 1 to 10 how much things are actually really fulfilling and how much aren't fulfilling. Um, For example, one of the things I was actually surprised with was Facebook. It was actually one of my lowest rating ones. (laughs) But in in our heads with social media, we're so depicted on, you know, we've got to make sure that we're um, connected and we're up to date and we're seeing all their posts. And if we're not, then we're being a bad friend. All these things, but deep down, if that's not the core root of what you want to do, there you've got to put your time in the right places. So... That's one thing I'm grateful for, for the time that I can actually channel in to my body and really educating myself um, even more. So second thing I'm grateful for, without a doubt, when I open up about this story, my family, you know, I'm very lucky with my family because they gave me the space and the capacity to open up and share my true feelings don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy. There was conversations where I had to literally explain what was going on, but they gave me the time, which I was really grateful for. So family for me was really important during that time, but I'm so grateful that even if I do have those moments that come up again, I can actually go, you know what, I've got a safe place and I can talk to them and openly share what's going on because I know venting for me is something that's very important. Uh, and the third thing that I'm very grateful for is, you know, this this business is something I'm really passionate about. I have a huge purpose for, but it's very lonely. It's very isolating. And I'm really grateful for those people that take the time to send me a message to say how much of an impact I'm making on their lives. Because as much as I'm putting it out there and I love what I do behind the scenes, there are 100% moments where I go, oh my God, like, is this actually something of need? Is this a value? Like you question everything and the imposter syndrome becomes quite strong. You have to battle with the consistent confliction of, can I do this? And is there something that's going to click and make this go even bigger? So I really appreciate those people that do reach out and send those messages or comments that are helping guide my direction and to remind me again of my why. Why am I doing this? And I know deep down is to help women, in particular young women, to feel confident and to get rid of these taboo topics that just no longer need to be around. We just need to be real with each other and know that we're not alone. So without saying, that is my gratitude But now, see, I'm even hesitating. That's the funny thing. I'm actually hesitating to do this next part because it's, um, yeah, it comes down to mental health. It comes down to, you know, why, that's what I mean. It's actually interesting. I'm struggling to say these words. Okay, Caitlin, you got this. You got this. So one of the main reasons why I did start You Go Girlfriend, oh, I can feel the emotion, (laughs) was because I was actually really struggling myself. I got to a point where I didn't see any more potential with life. I felt like that there was no point on living. Oh, these emotions are coming through. (laughs) Um, And that mentality was so strong at the time but you know what was even stronger was the gratitude to know that I could talk to people 
about how I was feeling because in that moment of fight or flight, when your body and your system goes into these action points, you just think, what is that moment that just clicks to make you change from the deepest, darkest time to wanting to actually change it and go, no, I don't want to do that and then grow even more as a person. So one of the examples was when I was, I know I said examples with an essay, so yeah, there was more than one. But when I was living in London, it was actually around the time where COVID was happening and everyone was isolated and whatnot, I actually was walking to a friend's place. They had invited me over for drinks and, you know, a good time. And normally for me, that's something that's quite exciting and quite enjoyable. But I was really procrastinating. And I remember I just kept trying on different outfits and I was being really negative to myself in the mirror. And something that you know, you normally fuss about with clothes in general, but this time I was really like, I swear to God, my whole wardrobe came out. It was like, let's just put the whole pile on. And then when I was walking, I was trying to do my, I knew my strategies. I'm like, okay, I'm in a bit of a funk. So let's just get some music in my ears. That didn't work. Okay. So I I actually took the headphones out. I was like, I, I can't actually listen to music right now. I just don't want to. And I felt my whole body had just, I felt like I was pulling an elephant behind me it was just so heavy and I was like whoa this is this is pretty crap like I don't I don't know what's going on and I remember actually walking towards a bridge and I had there was all these um beautiful red buses that were going past and I just remember in that moment I just I looked at the bus and I looked at the headlights and I thought Ah, Caitlin, what are you thinking? You can't, you can't jump in front of a bus. What are you talking about? But then I turned towards the bridge and I remember just looking out and going, no one needs me right now. I, I don't need to be here anymore. And I was, it was even, there was no action point, but it was physically standing there at the bridge and having the thoughts. And I remember, I swear it just felt like hours, but it honestly probably was about two, three minutes that I was standing there thinking about this. And I couldn't think of anything else at the time. I was like, I didn't think about my family. I didn't think about friends. I didn't think about anything. I just thought about that moment of going, do I actually want to do this? Is this the moment that I actually want to say goodbye? And then after that, I swear then I... It's like (laughs) my conscious brain had like come back and was like, you need to go to your friend's place. And I then remember shaking my head and going, okay, Caitlin, you need to go to your friend's place. It was like I programmed myself to be like, that's not an option. So it wasn't a flash of life. It wasn't a, you know, oh, what about my family? What about my friends? It it honestly wasn't. It was just like a, Caitlin, you need to do the next thing. And it was like, Deep down, it was kind of like, no, no, Caitlin, listen to this next stage because clearly you've got a lot going on, but you need to do the next step. And I walked into the house and everyone always does this big, hey, Caitlin, like energy, big edit, like vibes all happening. And um, I, I was really trying, but I was trying to take it all in as well. I was like, what the, what the fuck? I was like, literally, what the fuck has just happened? I 
was just about to have that moment. And I remember just everyone, and for me, I was always like drinking and getting, you know, into the moment. And yeah, then I pulled one of my mates, Stewie, aside. And Stewie's great. He, um, he knew about mental health and he knew that he had gone through some stuff as well. And he, he's like, we sat down and I said words that I've never said before. And I said, Stewie, I'm, I'm not okay. I'm really struggling right now. You know, we talked it out and I'm so, so grateful for that moment because it made me feel like I wasn't alone. It made me feel like that I could actually speak to someone about this and know that it was a safe place as well. And a lot of people don't get that, but I was actually able to get that and I'm so grateful for that conversation still today because I don't know where I would have been without that. And, um, yeah, like I said, the emotions were going to come at this point because there's a lot going through. Um, <laughs> um, so I just – and then obviously his beautiful partner, now fiancé, Emma, came and she was just joining in the conversation and, and she just gave me the hugs and the support that I needed. And then obviously from that point onward I thought, okay, I've done everything right. You know, everything has – I've said what I needed to do to move on. <laughs> Little did I know that this thing bites you in the butt. As soon as you've opened up about it, it um it comes back again. There was a lot of changes and shifts that I had. So when I was living in London, we weren't really treated well as Australians trying to go, or to be honest, I reckon anywhere in the world, where if it, whoever you were a foreign in another country, you just, you weren't able to go somewhere. But Australian government... I don't like to get political, but unfortunately I have to for this conversation. But they treated us like we weren't Australians, that we were not welcome home. And I know I had – I actually feel like I'm the isolation queen because I had so many different um, examples. So I was in London coming home for a friend's wedding. And what I had to do was I had to – either make the choice in that moment because no one was really in lockdown. It was kind of like we just spoke about COVID and so March. I think everyone knows March. <laughs> March is the month that everyone goes, oh, yep, that's definitely the month of where shit went crazy. So I had to go make the choice. I was on the phone to mum and dad and I was like, what do I do? Do I come home? Do I not? And they didn't actually know what to do either. They were like, I we don't know. And I said, I need an answer. Like, am I coming home to Australia? Or am I, am I coming back to London? But I knew that I wanted to stay in London. Um, I was only going back for the event. And then I arrived at the airport and, oh, man, it was like hectic. It was lines upon lines and the introduction of masks. To be honest, I probably wore a bandana because I didn't think it was that compulsory at the time. So I wore a cool bandana just to cover my, my mouth and go, well, it's some form of material over my mouth. <laughs> and, you know... I never realised, but I felt like I was lining up for the army. Like I just felt like I it was so cold and no one really wanted to talk. And I remember talking to this elderly couple behind me and they had just said, oh, we were travelling around Europe and our kids are making us come home. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I've got a little bit of like, you know, resistance myself. I'm like, I feel like I'm forced to come home, but I don't actually want to, even though this was a very unknown and scary place. So I got on the plane and... You know, as soon as I landed in Sydney, I had instant regret. I was like, I don't I don't want to be here. I really don't want to be here. And that 
part really scared me. It just, I remember because unfortunately there was a bit of controversy in my family where my dad actually didn't want to take part in having being around me at the time because he thought they had COVID with all his health issues. And then, so I technically only had mum come to the airport and I said to her straight away, I was like, I don't want to be here. I actually don't. Like I was physically ill of being in Australia, which is strange because that's my hometown. (laughs) And mum was like, it's okay. We will get through this. And she was so supportive at that time. You know, I still had my job back in London. So I had to kind of work out how to do this. I was like, well, I'm only meant to be away for two weeks. And I had to do the home isolation. Now, this isolation was so much better. Because <laughs> mum and I filled up the recycle bin within two days of drinking. Um, don't recommend that. But it was a lot of fun. It was just something where we felt free to do whatever we could. But I felt like I had come home and I was diseased. I was, you know, no one wanted to talk to me. And there was no big welcome. Like I always look at that movie, Love Actually. And I actually hate the scene now where they're at the airport because I never got that full welcome home. I'm hoping to relive that moment somehow (laughs) to change my views about that. But I never got that full love and satisfaction of being home. I just felt like I was a victim and I shouldn't have been in this place. So then... We had our time and then my flight had got cancelled to go back to London. I was absolutely devastated. I thought, oh my God, I can't go back home because that's what I considered home for me. I didn't consider Australia home and I'll explain why later on. But I I really got to the stage of going, okay, well, what do I do now? Like I've got my job. I've got 90% of my belongings back there. I only packed a small suitcase just to come home for a couple of weeks and the event that I had come to had cancelled, so which was absolutely fine because that's part of COVID and restrictions and whatnot. But even when I was catching up with friends, I was like, I don't feel right. I don't feel like I'm actually meant to be here. And then I decided to say to mum and dad and my sister, I said, I'm going to go back. I don't want to be here. But because of flights were just not happening and I had to sort of try and go through the paperwork and documentation to try and prove that I was still able to go back a lot of people felt like that they had their place to put opinions on my situation I had friends that were just like you know what you don't need to go back you're safe here but I didn't feel it (laughs) I felt like a completely different world everyone had sort of lived their life in their own ways I was out of the picture So I didn't feel like I was ready to be back in Australia and to make this home again. Um, I wanted to make the most of London as much as I could. Anyways, long story short for that part because I could keep dribbling on. I ended up booking the flight. I got accepted but I remember messaging my family. I'm either going to see you in five minutes or I'm going to see you until I don't know. And they, they were hoping that it was five minutes but it wasn't. And as I was sitting there in the airport and I posted that I was going back to London, woohoo, every single person in Australia, swear to God, messaged me saying, you are making the wrong choice. You need to stay here. And I was like, well, this is pretty crap. And I had to ignore the noise. I was like, no, I know I'm doing the right thing. It's okay. So then I flew back to London. Um, I think I still had my bandana or massing <laughs> on as we go back. The airports were really eerie. It was just a, a ghost town between all the airports and, you know, no one really wanted to, 
you know, because of the mask, you felt like that people were looking at you in a really derogatory way and you felt like you were a criminal, like just all these things. You were like, wow, this is – you couldn't smile so you couldn't actually see people's happiness and joys. It was just like a, a prison. <laughs> You're just walking around going, oh, gosh, I don't know if I want to talk to you or not. And then – so I went back to London and, oh, man, I felt like the weight had went off my shoulders. I just was finally back in my groove. And there wasn't a lockdown at that time. So I then went back into just same old, same old. And you just had to do with the restrictions. But we could go to the park and drink and we could still catch up with friends. And, you know, I know what I had gone from previously with my experience with London of ending, but I felt like there was just a lot more of myself back again. So I completely changed my views. And then it got to the point of the end of my visa. So I reckon it's probably three, four months that I had extended the time and I was trying to book my flight back to Australia because what I had tried to do was I tried to extend my visa but they weren't accepting it and trying to work through the agency, it wasn't working. So I literally had no choice but to go back to Australia. But those flights were not working either and I remember just thinking, I don't know where I'm meant to be placed. Like if I don't feel welcome back in Australia, if I don't feel welcomed to stay here in London, where am I meant to be based? Where am I meant to actually be sitting? It was just a really confusing stage of going, where do I belong? Where do I actually feel like I actually can be my true self? Because I was leaving behind a place I love to now go back to Australia where it was just a negative connotation when I came home back home during that time. And I knew that the only way for me to get home was to invest in a business class flight home. That was something I didn't think finances would go towards. However, it was the only way because I had multiple flights that were not able to go. So then I got the business class flight and you had to do a a COVID test before and to make sure that you were negative but it was literally like within one or two days before so if you were tested positive there goes my investment that I've just put forward so I was so thankful that the first lady who ever I ever did a COVID test with she was so gentle and kind and she was like I want to make sure that this is okay for you I was like, oh, thank goodness, because I don't want that thing shoved up my nose too much. (laughs) And it was all fine. Came back negative. But there was a time where when I was in London, I was pretty much having to do illegal work to get, you know, money for food. I had to really pull back on social events. I had to just go day to day with the bare minimal in a country that wasn't going to support me to stay there longer. I went on the flight and, man, did I hit that alcohol on that flight (laughs) I was like well if I'm doing this as an investment I might as well make the most of it so when you go to the airport I've totally forgot about the business lounges and I thought oh that's right you actually get to enjoy luxury (laughs) with this so I went in and had as much of their amazing alcohol I could have as much as their you know food that they gave to you obviously when I got on the plane it was such a beautiful seat. It just, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to go back to economy after this. But I i love the fact that you could lounge and lay down and have this little massage in your chair. And, you know, the quality of food, you've actually got proper cutlery, like metal cutlery. The drinks were flowing, the plasma screen in front of you. Oh, it was just 
a dream and I feel like it was kind of worth it. <laughs> and I feel like the air hostess said to me many times, do you want to finish the bottle? And I'm like, yes, absolutely, yes. So I did the did the flights and even um, flying into Doha was quite interesting because you never know what happens and I was hearing all these reports on social media about what happens in certain countries and if you test positive and negative and all these things, I thought you just were sitting on the edge every single day and that does not help your nervous system at all. And then I was flying into Sydney and I said to myself, Kaylin, you've got to try and change your mindset about this landing because you have no control in this. And I deep down, I was missing my family. So I knew that the landing part was actually different, but then it didn't help that I was going into hotel quarantine. 14 days stuck in a hotel that had no fresh air for 14 days. Now, I was sort of thankful that there was a Facebook community group out there called, oh, I've forgotten the name of it, but it was like quarantine, um, like 14-day quarantine. Anyways, I actually can't, I forget the name. But despite that, they helped people give tips and tricks on how to get through hotel quarantine. Now, being a teacher at the time, I decided to actually make myself a little timetable and to bring in, you know, there was like a TV show many moons ago called Minute to Win It and you just do like little activities um, just to keep your brain going. And I brought a Kindle at the time just to read books and I, yeah, I just thought, okay, well, I can use this time wisely. And there was someone who said, oh, you can hire gym equipment from the hotel. And I was like, no, that's not going to work. But it, it, it didn't actually, which was a bit of a shame because I was like, oh. Um, so as I landed in Sydney, like I said, not the welcome that I wanted to experience again, you get, you feel like you're a prisoner coming off a plane. You have to go line by line, following the directions You've got the army there, you've got nurses, you've got the police there, all welcoming you home. <laughs> and you had to go through all of these sort of pathways and they're questioning you and your um, your situation and what are you here for? And I was like, I'm here to be home because I cannot be anywhere else. And then your health that had to be questioned, you know, have you had all these symptoms? Righty, righty, righty. So we then get on the bus. Now, this part was just terrible. Like the the windows on the um, bus for us were actually tinted. So you couldn't actually see where you're going. They had told you no direction, nowhere where you're going. So you had no idea. I had mum messaging me going, where are you going? I was like, I have no idea. And that for them was quite freaky because they were like, well, where's our daughter going? Where's she actually going? And then I remember turning up and it was pitch black. So, uh, pfft. No idea where I was. And then we walked in and I'm trying to like look at, because they called your name by name just to get you off. I then walked out and I swear in like the three metres that I had from the bus to the hotel, I was taking in as much air as possible as I could because I knew that that was the last type of fresh air I was going to get. And I then walked in and I remember looking and there was all these tables and police and security and you had to sort of check in. And then the the lady who was next to me was a smoker. 
And she was like, I need to have a room with a balcony. And then the manager said, well, there's no balconies at the Intercontinental. That's where I stayed. She then freaked out. She was going bananas and she was throwing her luggage everywhere. And they ended up taking her to, I believe, a health ward to help her situation. In my mind in that moment, I kind of was like, do I wish I was that lady or do I not? Because she might be given somewhere where there's fresh air. I do pity my friends a little bit that went to Darwin because they had a bit of a balcony. (laughs) So anyway, so we were walking in. Um, Someone picked up my suitcase and I was like, well, I actually need my suitcase. Anyway, so found the suitcase. Getting up there, found the room. And because it was nighttime, I couldn't actually see my view. So I had no idea. I remember taking a video of the room and showing my family, this is my place for the next two weeks. Trying to be excited and then I was like, okay, I've got to um, I've got to figure out where I want my things to make this feel a bit homey. And straight away though, I remember looking at that window and seeing if there was any potential way of opening it. Now, they were bolt to the limit. They were making sure there was no handles on there. It was all, you know, trying to think of the word. It was just, yeah, there was no capacity. There was no capacity to open it up. And they, I think there was a sign that said it's $10,000 if you break the window. I was like, well, I've already invested enough in everything else. So I'm going to have to just suck it up and do what I got to do. So then morning had risen and I, oh, the sunrise was to die for. And I had the view of Sydney Harbour. I was so grateful for the universe to have that view because it was just stunning. I could like pop my head right on the window and look to my left and see the opera bar. Or the opera house, should I say? <laughs> look at me, you're already thinking about the opera bar. <laughs> um, so head down, I could turn and look, but then I could see the whole Sydney Harbour and I could see Botanical Garden. So I had a very beautiful view. So that definitely was something amazing. And then I remember the first knock on the door and that was my breakfast. Breakfast was terrible. It was just cold brekkie. Now I'm someone who loves warm brekkies. So for those people that love cold brekkies, the cereals and everything, you would have been fine. But I, I struggled. And I remember calling the family and being like, yeah, like I'm here and, you know, everything's going okay. Um, because you kind of in the first day you just, you feel like everything's okay because you haven't actually caught the awareness of the fact that you're not getting fresh air. You're just sort of in your hotel room, sort of like you're setting it up and it just comes about. I got to the point of going, all right, so I can do this. But I made sure there was one rule that I made sure was that I don't lay on my bed during the day. I made sure that I had to keep myself busy or keep myself around. I was lucky I had a little table where it was like a little office area. And so during that time, I just was like pretending that that was my next room, which was the office and the laptop and do what I needed to do. And I followed my teacher schedule <laughs> of going, okay, this time, that time, that time. But then I noticed that jet lag was starting to kick in because when you've gone from a big flight, you want fresh air, you want to be able to move around and I was feeling quite groggy and I was like, oh, this doesn't feel all right, but I'll push through because you've got you to do that the first day. You always got to push through. I then started thinking about what can I do to distract my mind because I don't want to lay on the bed. But in the end, I, I believe day two I gave up and I was like, oh, I, can't, I need to lay on this bed. I need to nap. And, you know, I had a solid three-hour nap. But then when you wake up, I was like craving the fresh air. I said to myself, Kaylin, you have to just push through. This is just what you have to do. And I noticed with the aircon, 
when I had it going on the whole time, my throat started to clog up. So I thought, oh, I need to like change on auto. So I made sure it was like going on and off at random times. And you sort of get used to that circulation of air because that was the choice you had. I remember the second day I was like, well, I've got to try and get the body moving. So I think it was, no, it was actually my personal workout that I did and oh man, trying to do a workout in a room with no fresh air. I normally train about an hour and a half or an hour. I'm not going to say two hours. That's like big ambition, Caitlin. <laughs> so I honestly could do the maximum I ever did and there was 45 minutes. And that was a stretch because you kind of were in that same air capacity and you weren't able to move as much as well. So I take credit for those people that actually did those big events um, during hotel quarantine, like running events, running from wall to wall to wall. That just was a huge mental mind game. So credit to you guys. That's that's insane. And then the thing I got really over was the food. That was disgusting. Nothing on the way it was because everyone had to just change their way with their businesses. Everyone had to just do what they can to make money to, to financially support people. But it was like yucky. <laughs> It was very um, sloppy and didn't taste nice. There were some average ones, but thank goodness for Uber Eats. I feel so sorry for those people that didn't have Uber Eats during hotel quarantine because I could actually order the food that I wanted and finally have a warm brekkie. <laughs> thank you, McDonald's, for that. Um, and those hash browns went down a treat. I feel like there was times where... I would just keep sticking to my schedule. I would have my mornings. I would have a long, you know, brekkie and enjoying the time. And then I would do a workout. Then I would have a long shower. And then I would do something on my computer or chat to a friend via FaceTime. And then I would read a book. And then I will read a couple of pages. <laughs> um, I wasn't very much into reading at that time, but I, I got through. And then I would at nighttime do things on my computer, whether it was like a trivia night with friends or and then at night time I would treat myself to movies so I never did binge watching and whatnot it was sort of um I try to avoid as much tv as possible because I just thought if I'm tuning in then I could do from that and I wanted to make sure I got the sunrises because that was my only sunshine so from 10 a.m onwards I had no sunshine coming in but it was actually really sweet on the weekends I had you know looking down I could see weddings happening and I couldn't hear it but I could see the moment of when they got married because I could see all this random flowers fly up in the air and I was like oh they're married yay <laughs> uh, so lots of weddings I could see and I think it was the there's a long weekend I don't know it's not June because I didn't come back in June there was a long weekend or sporadically fireworks one night so I was like oh I get to watch fireworks the thing I do love though is I had my mum and dad send me big suitcases of fresh food Oh, that was the best. But because they had so many bags that they gave me, bless them, the security guard came up to me and was like, well, enjoy your holiday. And I thought, oh, don't you dare say that. I laughed, but at the time I was like, this is not a holiday. Whenever anyone said that, it was not a holiday. It was a forced way to get through your mental capacity of being able to survive. Because a lot of the time I would always look through that peephole and see if the security guard was looking up and down the hallway to see if there's any potential of leaving. I would always look out and wonder 
what it would happen when I could potentially have fresh air again. There was moments where I I remember there was one moment I cracked it at mum <laughs> and, and she was like, oh, finally, Caitlin. I was like, wait, what, what do you mean, mum? She's like, I'm surprised you've lasted this long before cracking it because I don't know how you're doing it. So I had to give myself some commendation about that time. I thought, well, this was tough to go through. The day of when it was finally time to leave, I thought, oh, my goodness, Wow. This is the day I finally get to leave this space. You know, I got to the point of, of thinking, how's it going to be when I leave? Is it going to be the same? Is it going to be different? I don't know. But I was pacing around that bedroom so much <laughs> that day going, come on, come on, come on, come on, waiting for the phone call. But then I didn't realise I didn't have to wait for a phone call. I could actually just go. But I had to make sure mum and dad were there. So, oh, they did give a time frame, sorry. They said by a certain time you can leave. And I remember ringing reception. I was like, can I leave? They're like, yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so I'm walking down the elevator, looking around at everyone else and we're all smiling going, finally, like this is it. And then I get down and I remember we had to line up for some other reason. I think it was like a just to double check just that everything was okay and then I thought about this moment of going I cannot wait to see mum and dad and I remember turning around the corner and I could see mum and dad there but it didn't feel right it actually didn't feel like something was putting the pieces together I felt like I went into pure shock and my whole body seized up and mum and dad were running to me and hugging me and I felt so uncomfortable because all my senses were ignited at once and it overwhelmed me like no tomorrow. And I thought, whoa, what is actually happening? And then I even remember this bus that went past and it scared the bejeebas out of me because I hadn't heard, you know, sound so close. Yes, I had sounds in my room, but alongside your other senses as well, that just picked up something that I think my nervous system switched to like, you're not safe. And I remember saying to mum and dad, I said, can we go to the opera bar? I just need some time before I get into the car and drive an hour, <laughs> um, being closed in another space as well. Because I knew we had to go through the tunnels and you can't have windows down. So we went to the opera bar and mum and dad are so like, yeah, 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 like loving it. And I <laughs> could not, I was smiling, but it was faking it because I was like, I'm freaking out right now. And we sat down and watering cheese and champagne's flowing. And I'm and mum and dad looked at me like, are you okay, Caitlin? I said, I'm just taking this all in. I'm taking this all in. I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just taking it all in. So then we're in the car and I could finally just vent and talk about my experience with them. Car rides are the best. If you ever need to talk to someone, get in the car. They just, they help conversations because you're forced in that space and you can't actually, you're not going to jump out of the car. So, you know, you're forced in that space to talk to them. So I was just opening up about it. I remember getting home and I thought, you know, mum made this beautiful welcome home. She had my bed covered and all that stuff because at the time I didn't have the money or finances to go live on my own again. I was, you know, um, back with mum and dad and I was totally fine. I felt good about that as well. It was like I actually need a space to, to just get back to myself it got to a point where I was like okay well this means that we're back to reality but my body was telling something else but I couldn't work it out at the time so then we got to social events and everyone was excited to see me but I felt like there was a massive disorientation I couldn't work out what was going on and I felt like my head was getting quite foggy and just you know working out what what's going on like I would see someone 
catch up with them. Their face would be clear but everything around them would be moving and I'm like I'm trying to blink and I'm trying to you know crack my neck. I'm like what's going on? Like I don't understand. But what happened was it just kept getting worse and worse. I then had come back and um, started a new job and I was teaching the kids I was teaching primary school at the time and I would sit down and I would actually then get up and it would completely black out and I'd be like whoa and the kids like you right miss and I was like yep um I'm okay but I was freaking out going why am I getting blackouts why am I feeling like I'm on a cruise ship and every time the buildings because there was layers to the buildings the buildings would be moving and I I felt like I was trying to get my feet down I was like what is going on like I I Literally, I'm probably repeating this a lot right now by saying what's going on, but that's what was going on in my head. And I'm sitting there, you know, from previously Caitlin would be just a confident person that would not have any anxiety, that would just be going on with her life. And I thought, why am I getting this all of a sudden? So then it started playing on my mind. Something's wrong with me. I'm not okay. Uh, something's going crazy with you you're crazy and playing all these stories in my head and then the event originally that I was meant to go to had finally happened and we're driving in the car and I said to my sister I said right I have to be honest with you I'm not okay I'm actually not okay and you know she heard me at the time but I'll admit I don't know if she actually heard because what had happened is the event happened and I used alcohol to try and flush my true feelings of what was going on. So what had happened was when you have alcohol in your system, everyone would know this, but, you know, you actually behave differently and you react and say things that you don't actually want to. And everyone says the truth is syrup, but it comes out sometimes in the wrong way. And so I was like, you know, got to be in the moment, got to, you know, focus on what's going on. And there was a moment where someone had said something to me that made me feel like you're not worth being here. You know, you being you and your element, it's not worth it. And I thought, oh, my God, I shouldn't be here anymore. And it then the emotions went crazy. No one understood what was going on with me. So then they just took it as the actual sense of like, oh, Caitlin's upset from that comment. But little did they know everything else that was going on in my mind. So I was... <laughs> very emotional that night and probably saying things that came out in such a very truthful way but in a wrong disrespectful way and I swear to god the arguments I was having with my family that night was just so toxic and I you know it's hard because I know my gut I was trying to say my truth but alcohol was not the answer to that point because I wouldn't have been able to work it out but I didn't know my answer at the time because I thought Caitlin's confident Caitlin knows what she's doing you know she's just weirdly not feeling okay but I don't know why I should just go away I never thought that I was actually going through something quite traumatic and so then the next morning I honestly felt like I had done something so bad like killing someone I woke up feeling so guilty that I had made everyone else's night terrible and everyone else's you know reasons were valid and I totally forgot about why I knew from that car ride in that I said the truth of saying I'm not in a good headspace, which was a crying out call to say I need support right now. And I know that as I'm working with people at the moment is there are people that are trying to open up their truth about situations, but people are laughing, people are dismissing what they're saying and people are not being 
honest and open and truthful of going, actually, let's talk about this more because you need a space. You need a safe space. I didn't feel like I had a safe space at that time. And my vision at the time was like, well, stuff this. I'm going to move somewhere else because if no one here's supporting me, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I remember talking to, I remember talking to mum and dad and I was sitting at the table because I was crying more than I ever have. Because I don't, I, as a kid, I used to suppress my emotions a lot. Not a healthy thing. And so I, I was crying and crying and crying. And I said to mum and dad, I'm not okay and I need to seek help. And I remember talking to a family friend as well. And I said, I'm going to seek support because I'm not in a good headspace. And they're like, good on you. <laughs> and then I had to work with what my family knew at the time. I had to work on what therapy was and what was about I remember as a teenager doing it I felt like I was so you know something was wrong with me um, during that time but therapy is something really crucial and really needed what I what I then noticed was I had two therapists at the time and one of the therapists said you actually need to go to a doctor to get a mental health plan and I was like oh Okay, so I went to the doctor and I said, oh, I'm not in a good headspace. Like, right, have you had suicidal thoughts? And I'm like, whoa, okay, we're going straight into it. And I had to be honest, I was like, yes. They're like, have you taken action? I was like, no, okay. And I, and I just, I felt like I had to be really open and honest with the doctor. And it was sort of weird tapping back into that place as well of going, okay, well, something must be really bad with me if I'm having all these thoughts. So then he wrote up the mental health plan and I thought, wow, okay, I'm, I've got, mental health problems okay like I just had this category of like as soon as I had this plan meant that I had mental health problems I was like okay right this is happening didn't think I'll get to this stage and then I oh then I went to the the therapist and from there she was telling me so I had two I had one that was psychologist and one who really focuses on EFT um ETP, oh my gosh, I already forgotten the name of it. But <laughs> she she really taps into your emotional trauma and actually starting to release it in a way that um, by tapping. I'm so sorry that I've forgotten that acronym. I should have written it down. But anyways, that's life. <laughs> no one's perfect here. Um, but I'll go back to the psychologist. So when I was talking to the psychologist, I would talk about how I just want to move. I want to move to Melbourne. I just want to go away and like live my life. And she was my ultimate hype girl. She'd be like, yes, you need to do what you need to do. You need to get away from it all and live your life. I was like, oh, hell yeah, let's do it. But then I had a beautiful lady called Larissa. And she actually said to me, she was like, Caitlin, the more you keep running away from this, the more it's going to follow you. And I thought, whoa that landed for me. I was like, as much as I could go to another state, as much as I could move away, as much as I could escape, I'm not being accountable and taking on my emotions and what's actually happening to the core. And I actually need to work on this before I take any other steps. So I got rid of the other therapists because I just felt like I didn't really need a hype. I needed a reality check. What I then was also doing was alongside the emotional you know, traumatic release I was going through, I always felt like, oh, I want to get rid of this disorientation. Like I want to get rid of this cruise ship feeling where I'm constantly, the the whole room is moving. Even today I felt it because I knew I was going to be talking about this. So I went to the doctor, they talked about vertigo. So I was like, okay, what is your vertigo? So they put me on medication. Nope, that didn't work. I then went to a chiro. I was like, okay, what can you do to like help my neck and my head? And um, it got to a point with 
Alex, I was like, okay, so what can I do now? And he's like, well, you might actually need to look at it from more of an emotional response. And I was already doing the work with Larissa. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll just keep going with that. And as I was doing the one-on-ones with her, I noticed that there was a shift and a change in the first session. There was a lot of weight lifted off my shoulders because I released a lot of emotion. But then, don't get me wrong, I actually felt like I had to, I put a barrier up. I was like, what do you mean? It was because I wasn't taking accountability. She would say things and I'd be like, "Uh, no, like I don't understand what you mean. And eventually when it landed, I was like, oh my goodness, that made so much sense. I I completely understand. And she really talked about why I went to London. She's like, why'd you go to London in the first place? I said, obviously experience and living life. And she's like, yeah, that's a surface level conversation. Let's really tap into your core root. (laughs) And I realized that I was actually escaping. I was escaping from the people, the environment and the person that I had become because deep down that wasn't the person that I wanted to be. And then why London was so amazing was because I could be the person that I wanted to be, but that still is not the person that I am today. So coming back from the independence, the you know, the way it was, that shift and change in environment, my nervous system had had this disorientation of going, well, you've gone from an environment where, you know, you are so high in yourself And now you come back to an old behavior, environmental place that you don't actually want to be a part of. I thought, wow, my goodness. Now, this isn't saying that I don't want to be around my family and whatnot, but there are triggers in things where old Caitlin would have reacted and done things in certain ways. Now, the growth of the awareness has been huge for me because I now know the accountability that I've had to take on myself to actually make sure that I feel valued in myself. I used to always do friendships you know I used to give so much value to them and be around people and give them the time of day but I never valued myself in those moments or I never valued the person that I could be in those moments so I've actually you know really hit that point with going okay well I really want to surround myself where I feel valued and I value myself within that more so than actually waiting for validation from people I want to be my full self and I know one of the examples I'm so thankful for is one of my greatest best friend of all time is my mate Hannah and she is someone that I actually met traveling which is so funny because that's what I love to do and she's someone that I can wholeheartedly say that I can be my absolute self. She will challenge me in the right ways and she will be there no matter what. And I know that that's the type of friendship that I want to be surrounded by and be with more than ever. So when you know you've got that type of valued friendship and value within yourself, you don't actually want to spend time with people that don't actually give that full, you know, commendation of validation. And I had to really make some choices and really think about it. So it's been quite an interesting quest and change and shift of the awareness piece that I've come from. But you know, I just wanted to move away because I knew that I can't physically move away to another state or country because that's not going to get rid of it. I needed to become the person I wanted to become and be around the people that I wanted to be around. So that was a big shift in that. But I am so glad that I started investing in myself because those the thoughts of my mind playing games, 
you know, um, of these thoughts that are coming through with suicidal thoughts. I've had a couple of extra moments, but I'm so proud of myself to be able to know the coping mechanisms and the strategies to really focus on my gratitude towards life. Hence why most of these podcasts I will be starting with gratitude because it's a constant reminder of what I'm grateful for and how far I've been able to come from those moments. So, you know, when you start investing in yourself, you really grow confidence. And I know that I can look at the person that is standing here today in this podcast. That's going to be a level of confidence I'm so happy for. But I know in another two years, five years time, look out (laughs) because I'm going to keep investing in myself. And I'll do an episode about how to invest in yourself because I feel like everyone says that, but they don't actually talk about how and what. One of the things I wanted to sort of finish this podcast with was some strategies that helped me get through because I know that there's people out there that probably be listening to this long-winded story (laughs) but know that there are ways to help in those penny drop moments of reality sometimes. One of the things that I know that people always say is you know you got to talk to people you got to talk to people yes but the thoughts do not come in your mind when you're going through that experience you do not think oh gotta ring mum you don't think that you're thinking wholeheartedly in your brain about that physical reaction and moment in time so one of the things that I knew that was going to be a point breathing Breathing is something that I've really honed in a lot more better and properly training myself on how to breathe properly. And I know I put up a video um, on my social media about just a, a quick summary about where we're actually breathing. And a lot of the time we do breathe in our rib area where we should be breathing from our stomach to really get that oxygen. Because if we're breathing through our rib cages, our anxiety actually peaks because we've got a really suppressed amount of oxygen going through so that means that your brain will get foggy and cloggy and all that kind of stuff breathing is something that i really recommend to people if you can learn or train or want to know how you can reach out to me and i can actually teach you on some strategies one of the things i always find is when you actually have a number with the breathing so you could either do three seconds in, six seconds hold, and then nine seconds out. Or you can do like a square, four by four by four, and then just keep repeating it and it'll keep creating a square. You know, or even just those long breaths, just 10 deep breaths. I just, I can't fathom enough how much breathing is so important to get that heart rate down and to really tap into your body. I know a lot of people will talk about, oh, but you shouldn't be having those thoughts. You know, you've got to be grateful for life. I hear you. I really do hear you. But at the same time, you it's okay to have the actual emotion, not the action, but the emotion because you want to be in a position where you can kind of go, okay, I don't want to feel like that again. And I know there's moments where I have my headspace is kind of like spiraling and I go, okay, well, I hear you but I no longer want to deal with you. So I had these conversations with myself all the time where my mindset is going crazy, but I then go, okay, well, I need to change that viewpoint of going, okay, I have heard you brain. (laughs) I've heard you mindset, I've heard you ego. And now I need to work on the next steps to make sure I don't have to feel like that again. I know when I had another thought, 
in the house uh, back in Australia of, you know, just saying, see you later. I remember in that moment I was so accountable of going, Caitlin, that's not going to serve you. That's not going to give you the value of life that you've been gifted with. I remember saying to myself, I hear you what you're saying, but that's not the solution. So just being accountable of going, okay, I've had that thought, but I'm going to control you right now. I'm going to control what's going on because in this present moment, that's not the right thing to do. So yeah, being accountable is one of the biggest strategies that you could really work on. And then obviously a lot of people need to get better at this, which is talking. How you're going, how are you is not going to be the answer. You need to let people ask about their emotions and actually keep asking them, well, you know, how does that make you feel? Or can you give an example of that? Or even just giving them the space to vent. I cannot highly recommend venting. That's why I love working with the teenagers because I give them the space to vent. That's all they want to do is know that they've been heard. And that's what everyone really wants to do is they just want to be heard. And as much as it's got nothing to do with you, you just got to give them that space and the capacity because I can tell you what, it can save a life if you just let them speak longer. Even if there's like a five-minute pause, let them have the pause. (laughs) Let them have that time to comprehend what's going on in their brain to then speak. It's not your time. It's their time on the line. And you've got to make sure that you've given them that time and space to be able to speak their truth because it is a lifesaver when you just allow them. I know the amount of times I had hours upon hours speaking to my family and I'm so thankful for that time because I could openly share. They openly shared about things and it's brought us even closer. So the connection that you get from fully opening up and giving them the time to creates a real connection with one another. I feel like I just... I got a lot off my chest today. I got a lot off this present moment. And I really hope that from this conversation that you are well aware now from all my details, (laughs) but just more so well aware that I've gone through my struggle and struggles will always keep coming up, but I'm more than happy to talk about it and I'm more than happy to discuss it. Yes, I did procrastinate because it was a big thing for me to open up in one go. But now that I have, it's made me so much braver to talk about it even more so now. The fact that I went into more detail and the fact that I was quite truthful means that I'm open to share and to help one another. Now, I actually offer something really important, which is a friendship through one-on-one coaching. I know that there are some incredible psychologists, therapists that I will happily, happily refer to. But if you just want a friend, someone who will let you speak, Someone who will just be there for you and also pick you up when you need advice without restriction, I'm here for you and I'm always here for you because I don't want you feeling like you can't get the support and get told on how to better yourself in the right way. Thank you very much for this very intense (laughs) podcast. I hope that, um, yeah, I hope that it was something of bravery so that you can speak your truth and speak your story. And I hope that you enjoy the podcast to come because I can guarantee they won't be as heavy as this one because I feel like this is just like a dump of going, yep, this is this is the story of Caitlin Vincent. <laughs> um, but yes, but no, take care of yourself and remember to always accept yourself first before you learn to love yourself. And remember... I'm always here for you. 
Thank you for sharing your time with me. I truly appreciate it. And you deserve to feel heard, seen, valued and supported. Book in your next date with me by subscribing to our podcast and take a peek at our show notes for links that you might have missed. Until next time, bye my love.